0: So we're at a point where we go to a site, we can reduce their water consumption by 15 and a half million gallons. Right. So that's just a start. That's just the average site. If you look at what we've done for electricity and chemicals and water, pure shift, if you scale it up globally, we have the capacity to reduce the carbon footprint or offset the carbon footprint of 268 million people every year.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. This is the Climate 21 podcast, the number one podcast showcasing best practices in climate emissions reductions. And I'm your host, Global Vice President for SAP, Tom Raftery. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast app of choice to be sure you don't miss any episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Climate 21 podcast. My name is Tom Raftery with SAP. And with me on the podcast today, I have got my special guest, Prateek. Prateek, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah. First of all, Tom, thank you for having me here. Really excited to have this conversation. I am Prateek Joshi, founder and CEO of Fluoroshift. We are a company based in Palo Alto, California. And pretty much through my entire Professional career, I have built machine learning products and uh, built machine learning systems that can process a variety of data. The PlutoShift shift, what we're building is a data platform for industrial sustainability. We'll talk more about that, but that's me briefly
1: okay. and why why Pluto shift? why machine learning, why sustainable problems you're you're trying to solve? Yeah.
0: I'm going to start with machine learning first. I've been pretty much spending my professional career in building virtual infrastructure, meaning images, text, e-commerce. Basically, machine learning has done a lot of good in the ether. And through this process, I ended up writing a few books on the topic, ended up building products used by millions of people. What I realized is that while machine learning is ubiquitous in the in the virtual world like search engines we use it every day it's been around for a long time. they are heavy users of machine learning and we just we don't realize it that much we just use it, it just works and we move on in the physical world it's just not as ubiquitous as it could be and that was the core motivation behind behind doing this is how do we bring machine learning to the world of physical infrastructure and uh, within that, i started looking at how can we make this useful to the world like how can we help the earth your fellow human beings how can we help be better and that's where the topic of water came into picture i i grew up in a in a small town in southern india a uh, dry town a lot of water problems like many i'm sure many towns in india the water topic stuck with me this was a chance to dive back in so Krudo Shift is a combination of my professional interest, which is machine learning, and my personal interest, which is water. And uh, we started with how can we help physical infrastructure not waste water? It's a precious resource; it's worth saving. And how can we start that? So we started there, and now it has expanded to how can we help physical infrastructure reduce their resource consumption, meaning energy, chemicals, water. Right? How do we how do you help them reduce their carbon footprint? So that's how. It evolved over
1: time. Okay, and what kind of solutions are you coming up with for these problems that you're finding? I mean, what are you able to do that couldn't be done without machine learning? Let's say I'll take a real example.
0: Let's say you are a company that manufactures beverage, and you have a lot of membranes, hundreds of membranes in series and parallel. And then what you do is you buy raw water from the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the, the government and you clean it and then you use the clean water to make your product now through this process there's a lot of uh, wastage that happens like simple example would be if you buy 100 gallons from the city maybe 60 of that gets converted to useful product what about the other 40 it's just it just gets lost because there are so many inefficiencies in the system like you, know, you don't track where it's going the membranes foul the membranes stop functioning so many reasons now what happens in status quo is there are 200 membranes the person the operator comes in at nine o'clock in the morning and they do a round robin method meaning they go to the first one they see if it's doing okay great that's fine then let's go to the next one and once the once a membrane is checked it takes weeks or months for them to come back to it to do another check and during that time if that membrane consumes 5x more electricity or if that membrane just stops functioning, you won't know for quite some time. And that's where all the resource wastage happens. With machine learning, instead of doing a round drop bin, you come in and the system, the product that tells you, okay, membrane number 79 is where you need to look because it started sucking up 5x more energy since yesterday. So you got to take a look, right? So, Kind of it, surfacing the right problems at the right time, detecting events of interest, predicting what's going to happen in the near future. That's where machine learning. It's almost like a co-pilot that works with you to help you get to the problem faster, so that you don't end up wasting electricity and chemicals and water. Right. So that's that's one example. I'll take another example. Sure. Many companies they use water to make that product, right? So mostly I'm going to talk about chemicals. So let's say you're a company, you use a lot of water to make your beer and ketchup or or some physical parts. And uh, the water is now contaminated. And before you just dispose it off into the environment, you've got to clean it, right? Mm-hmm. It's contaminated with chemicals. And it's, it's just not, you're not allowed to do it by law. So what you do is um, you have this giant treatment plants where dirty water goes in, the company has to clean it, and the clean water goes out. But it has to happen at a certain speed because your manufacturing continuously, it keeps going on and on. So you've got to keep up. So what happens is dirty water comes in, you've got to put chemicals in it to clean it, and then it goes out. Now, if you put less chemicals than required to save money, then you will be violating EPA laws because it won't be clean enough. Mm -hmm. If you put more chemicals just to speed it up, you'll be wasting money. You'll have to spend more than required. So this is a very real-time data problem where you need a machine learning system that can tell you, okay, at 2 o'clock today, you need the dosing is X, right? At 3 o'clock, the dosing is Y. So by doing that, you'll stay compliant and you won't waste a lot of, of your capital. And that's where these um, very useful outcomes happen when, when machine learning is infused into the into the process.
1: Okay, and... You mentioned physical infrastructure as well. Is that a separate use case or is that part of this? It's all part of it. So, all of this happens in physical infrastructure.
0: So, when I say physical infra, I mean in membranes and pumps and cooling towers and heating systems, boilers, condensers, clarifiers. So, all these physical assets are part of physical infrastructure that companies operate to make the product.
1: Okay. Okay. And you're using machine learning in, Various different ways then to make sure that you are eliminating wastage from processes, for example. Yes. In our
0: case, machine learning is being used to take in all the data. When I say data, it's temperature, pressure, flow rates, basically operational data. So all the data flows into the system and... What the product does is it detects and predicts events of interest. And then that is showed to the operator who can then make decisions based on what's actually happening or what's about to happen. Within physical infrastructure, the goal is to identify a specific process that can benefit from it. So in this case, you said resource wastage. That's, that's the primary outcome. And the eventual outcome is reducing your carbon footprint. There are multiple ways to do it. The way in which we do it is we reduce the wastage of resources so that per unit of product that you produce, you'll use less electricity, less chemicals, less water. So that
1: translates to reduced carbon footprint, which is uh, a big outcome that we drive. Okay, very good. Very good. And you mentioned, you know, you're sucking in a lot of data from systems. Is this part of the solution you give as well that you provide the sensors or are you taking it from existing sensors that your customers might already have in place or is it a combination of the two?
0: Yeah, we take the data from existing sensors. So that's part of our, our qualification process just to understand you know, does shift fit the needs here? So in this case, uh, our customers at a minimum, they need to have some kind of sensor. Sensor should be generating data. And uh, if that's already happening, that's where we go and we plug in and uh, we
1: start, we get to work. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And for your customers, is this a big mind shift change that they have to get over, you know, for taking advice from essentially a machine? Oh, that's a great question. And there's something that we have been
0: thinking deeply about in terms of product design. And you're absolutely right. Why should an operator who's been doing this for 20, 25 years, why should they listen to a machine? So to address this the user behavior question, what we did was we don't, we don't really. We're not black boxy. That was the whole insight is the point is we look at data, data comes in, and we show clearly what our reasoning is, right? When we tell them, hey, operator, it's nine o'clock, Membrane number 79 is where you need to go. And they can just click, okay, why? Why membrane 79? Then we tell them, oh, it's eating up 5x more energy than yesterday. They're like, okay, wait, why? Why does that happen? You can click a button and it says, oh, it's eating up 5x more energy because of normalized permeate pressure or it's eating up because of X. So basically, the multiple levels of Y, it makes it very clear why we are recommending or prescribing an action. So I, so once you provide the, the two levels, two to three levels of reasoning, uh, it's, it, becomes, it becomes very friendly and like, oh, okay, I get it. Yes, of course, I need to go to membrane 79. So compare that with something a machine just tells them, hey, membrane number 79, do X. I, they won't do it. So why will they do it? I mean, no humans are not built that way so we Mm. we don't we like to know why
1: we do stuff so that's how we we have addressed this issue okay very good very good and are there particular industries that are more suitable to this solution or do you think it's kind of like something that could be adopted across the board we'll be right back
0: Hi, and welcome to His and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of
1: pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss & Tell.
0: Yeah, we have consciously uh, approached industries that are a little more suitable and more open. And more than anything, they have urgent problems that need to be solved. So food and beverage, great example. Uh, the processes, the the continuous processes, they need Insight on a on a very continuous basis, mm-hmm. as opposed to like discrete manufacturing where you know there is there's more room in between, so that's one food and beverage uh, chemicals, another great industry where this is very very relevant, so we approach industries where carbon footprint or resource consumption is a problem, and there are low hanging fruits where you go in and you you help them get an immediate win right? mm-hmm. and that's that's a good combination for us. What it does is, one, it it helps them get over the hump. Hey, does this work? I I don't know. The the first initial success template just really opens up uh, people's minds. And then they go from the first deploying at the first site to the next one to 50 to 100 and more. So that is how we have uh,
1: approached this market. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. What about industries like, I mean, you mentioned process. So... Steel or cement or any of these ones that have a very high carbon footprint—they—they they sound like they might be ideal as well, no?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's we—that's definitely on our roadmap. We just happened to not happened, but we we talked to a few different companies and companies in food and Bev and chemicals. They were open to trying out and deploying it. So, but yeah, absolutely. Your cement, steel, definitely industries that one very high carbon footprint, mm. and it's definitely on a roadmap. The other thing to keep in mind is the company's data readiness also impacts our ability to work with them, right? The, as you said, cement and steel, yeah, it, definitely industries worth pursuing, but in terms of data readiness, I mean, food and beverage and chemicals, they're in, the, in a good spot where High carbon footprint, they have the data, they have the intent, and it just it just comes together, but yeah, then definitely our next industries are are what you said we are we are on
1: our way there okay, superb, superb and what about companies being able to measure the return on investment of any investments they do in sustainability? yeah, it's a
0: notoriously hard problem, and if you talk to the leaders, like the VP, C-suite, across these companies, uh, they'll tell you that one of the biggest problems is if I put in a dollar into my sustainability initiatives, I don't know what's coming out of it. Hmm. And the reason is twofold. One is just measuring the ROI, it's measuring the operational impact, that is difficult by itself. And two, even if you were to measure it, it's almost impossible to get multiple stakeholders to agree that something happened. When I say stakeholders, I mean the operators, the managers, the finance people, the sustainability people and the C-suite, all of them agreeing that, okay, this year we saved 12 million gallons of water. It's almost, it's, it's everybody has their own calculations in their head. They have their own agenda. They need the numbers to say something specific. So yeah, so the the twofold reason makes it very difficult to measure the ROI, and that's why we've designed um, our method around addressing these two key issues. Is one, when you go in, when we use and when PlutoShift goes into a company to deploy, we first measure the status quo of the last twelve months, meaning without PlutoShift. Here's what happened. Do we agree? Until there is agreement on what they've already done in the past, there is mm. there's no starting because it's just pointless. If, okay. if you don't have a benchmark to compare, uh, it's just there's just there's no point starting. So step one, we establish status quo, and more than anything, more than us, we want the multiple stakeholders to agree that okay, yes, these are the numbers that we all agree upon, and then we get to work and say okay, in the first ninety days. Here's how we move the needle. And then we we make sure that everyone has access to information on how we are computing it. And uh, they have information on what's happening on, on a weekly basis. So that way, when we show up 90 days later, here to show here's what happened, people are already in agreement. So that is how we have tackled this issue of, you know, if you if you put in a dollar, X comes out of it. And we usually like to keep it, at about 4 to 5x, meaning you put in a dollar in sustainability, you should get 4 to 5x out of it. And the way you measure it depends on the company, but it's mostly resource consumption. Right? You know, same time last year, we spent X on chemicals. Now we're spending Y. Great. Right. That, that's a delta. The carbon footprint impact is another key issue because it's kind of soft, meaning you if you reduce your carbon footprint, how do you measure the monetary value of that? Sure. So every company has their own own measure. So we need, we need to kind of understand how they put a dollar number on their carbon footprint. And uh, yeah, so we include all of that and then we present the number which, which works for, for our customers. Okay.
1: And you are U.S.-based? Is that your market or are you expanding beyond the U.S. in terms of your market? Yeah, we are based in the U.S. All of our
0: customers are headquartered in the U.S. But what we have done is our customers took us, once once we deployed here and once they're successful, uh, they took us to South America and Asia. So at least for now, what we're doing is we'll start in the U.S. And if an existing customer expands and wants to deploy at that Asian facility or South American facility, we'll do it. But we're not going to go approach a brand new company in Asia just yet. We're just not set up to to do that because we need people on the ground who can make sure the product is successful and the customer is successful. So that's what we're doing right now.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Sure. And are there any successful customers that you can talk to? Yeah. Two of our biggest customers,
0: Anne Hazard Bush, Dow Chemical. We have been working with them for for a while. They've been successful with with our product we're expanding so uh one for each uh, and as a bush the use case is centered on water water recovery meaning if you buy 100 gallons how much of that can be converted to useful product beer and yeah beer, in that case, beer <laughs> and also they're dealing with water stressed regions as well meaning in some in the u.s we we just Talk about dollars and efficiencies, but there are many parts of the world where water itself is not available. So every drop that you have, you got to you got to use it. So here, for example, in the U.S., if you lose some water, fine, you'll go back and buy more water from the city. Great. If you are in in South America or Asia or Africa, there's just even if you want to buy, even if you want to spend money, there's just no water. So which means you cannot meet your throughput requirement for the day. So. It becomes extremely important that every gallon of water you have, you convert that to useful product. So that's one. Dow Chemical, another example. Uh, it's it's focused on chemical usage. So mm-hmm. basically, they, as you know, Dow is a huge manufacturer of, of chemicals, and they use a lot of water. And the goal is, how do you stay compliant while minimizing the spend? And all of this translates to carbon footprint. So they use a product to make sure that the dosing is right, and they keep track of it, and they detect and predict events of interest so that they can avoid spikes of any kind. Because spikes are the killers. So you do, basically, if the system stays up and keeps spiking, that's, the system goes down, great. Somebody Not great, but you'll know that, okay, the system went down, we need to fix it. It's not doing anything wonky if the system stays up and keeps spiking every 24 hours, that's a giant bill waiting for you, right? And that's, <laughs> in 2022, that's the bigger problem than systems just randomly going down. So yeah, we are working with a few other customers as well, but those are the big ones.
1: Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, pretty good. And where where to from here? What, what are your next plans? We're at a point where we are
0: serving multi-year contracts with the customers. It's enterprise-grade. We have great reviews. So our plan is to expand. More than anything, we want the the onboarding to be very, very fast, meaning uh, once you go to a new customer, the speed at which you can deploy, we are working on making that a lot better for our customers. And also we're working with existing customers to use our product and more of their in more of that infrastructure so like existing customers expanding with the product and getting new customers within these uh, these verticals that we're working in so that's the that's the plan from here and really we based on the results that we have delivered right so we're at a point where we go to a site we can we can reduce their water consumption by 15 and a half million gallons right? So that's just a start. That's just the average site. And uh, if you look at what we've done for electricity and chemicals and water, Pluto shift, if you scale it up globally, we have the capacity to reduce the carbon footprint or offset the carbon footprint of 268 million people every year. Right, And that's just based on where we are. Based on today's product, what we've already done, the amount of reduction. That's what we are. And that's Excites me a lot, mm-hmm. meaning if you scale this up, if you look at our target market and if every company uses our product, then every year, 268 million people, their carbon footprint is offset. And that's a that's a very exciting proposition. So that is our North Star. We keep an eye on that as we continue to work on, on the product and working with our customers to achieve that. Okay, super,
1: super. We're coming towards the end of the podcast now Pratik is there any question that I haven't asked that you wish I had or any aspect of this we've not covered that you think it's important for people to be aware of Yeah yeah
0: I want to take a slight detour and and talk a little bit about why this and why do I do this why does anybody choose a specific thing and just keep going There's a very nice Japanese concept called ikigai IKI i I. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's very, yeah. it's very popular. And really uh, at the heart of it, that's what I want to highlight is finding your ikigai or finding your purpose for existence. It just helps you minimize the friction. Meaning if you're doing what you're what you like to do, what you're supposed to do, what you enjoy, what gets you paid because you got to pay rent. So if you're in the sweet spot, the friction is very, very minimal, which means you can just keep going for a for a long time. Hmm. And when you do something for a long time, compound interest kicks in. Meaning it just just compounds. It's just by virtue that you didn't die or you just kept doing that thing for a long time. Compound interest kicks in and that's when magic starts to happen. So my simple recommendation is in my case, it happens to be machine learning and climate problems and Pluto shift, right? But I think finding your ikigai is a fantastic life hack. I'll just, Minimize all friction in your life and just, you just keep
1: going for longer. So, yeah. Yeah, 100% behind you there. Agree. Absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Great, Prateek. That's been really cool. If people want to know more about yourself or about Pluto Shift or any of the things we discussed in the podcast today, where would you have me direct them? You can visit
0: prateekj.com to learn more about me. Or PlutoShift, you can visit PlutoShift.com to know more about the company, I'm active on LinkedIn. So if you have a question or a comment or any feedback, or if you just want to brainstorm, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat. One last thing, I write a weekly newsletter on machine learning where I just discuss concepts, topics, how to build ML products. And it's at pratikjoshi.substack.com. So yeah, I <laughs>
1: many avenues to, uh, to reach out to me. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'll put those links in the show notes so everyone will have access to them. Prateek, that's been fascinating. Thanks a million for coming on the podcast today. Perfect. Thanks, Tom. I really enjoyed this conversation. Okay, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to know more about Climate 21, feel free to drop me an email to tom.raftery at sap.com or connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. If you liked the show, please don't forget to subscribe to it in your podcast application of choice to get new episodes as soon as they're published. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. It really does help new people to find the show. Thanks. Catch you all next time.